Welcome everybody to Marketing Management and Money. Today we are excited to have Abigail and Emily with The Boss Project. They are going to be our guests on the show. Uh, so Abigail and Emily are the business fairy godmothers behind Boss Project and the hosts of the chart-topping podcast, The Strategy Hour. They're internet famous for their program, Trello for Business, which breaks down boring and complicated systems into bite-sized chunks. They have helped over 10,000 creative small business owners create simplicity and ease in reaching their goals. After getting their start in 2015 serving clients in the marketing and branding space, they now help other service-based business owners reignite their offers, create systems for client experience, and get more of the time back inside their program, The Incubator. Featured in Forbes, HuffPost, Marie Claire, and Inc., the team at Boss Project is truly revitalizing the service-based industry through strategies that don't require flashy marketing, a huge audience, or full-time hours. So with that, welcome, Abigail and Emily. Super excited to have you guys here. And, uh, I mean, that was that was a pretty pretty big intro. So, uh, it let's, makes it sound pretty fancy, honestly. It, it, it does. I was going to say, like, you know, either you have a lot that you have to back up or let's get to the real people here that we're going to be talking to. So why don't you take Hi, a second and, and introduce. Yeah. Um, I'm Emily. This is my voice. We'll see if you can try to pair our names with our voices throughout this episode. Um, but I am one half of Boss Project. I sit mostly in um, marketing and copywriting and content over here at Boss Project. Yeah, and I'm Abigail. I'm the CFO and co-founder. My day-to-day role is definitely in the finance and operations space. I'm thinking about our sales calls and a program experience and making sure clients are taken care of every step of the way. Um, I, I like to think of it as front of house and back of house. Emily is definitely front of house and I'm back of house. Um, and, you know, for a lot of years, we tried to both do all of the same things and separating things out and having more clear defined <laughs> roles was a, div- a big part of our success. So uh, excited to chat today. Good, good. So this is what I want to kick it off with. Uh, you guys are doing what so many people want to be doing. Like mm-hmm. you, you're, you're, you're kind of living the dream a little bit in, uh, you know, you're, you're the gurus helping the small businesses. You guys have quite a following. You really have established yourselves. So I want to talk a little bit, if we can, right off the bat of what was the journey like to get there? Because I appreciate that, you know, you stated that, that it's back in 2015, you know, we always say there's no overnight successes or overnight successes take a decade, you know? And so I, I really want to know, like, what was that journey like for you guys to get to where you are today? Are, are we there, Abby? Have we made it? <laughs> uh, I, I believe there's no real destination and it's really the journey at play all the time. But, you know, I think we've done some pretty cool shit in the, in the last few years. <laughs> okay, so yeah, tip, tip number one is you're never quite there. All right. Let's... No, no, no. No, we, we, we've developed a training a while ago that, that like modeled off of the, um, the Candyland board. Um, my daughter had recently gotten it gifted to her and I was like looking at it again and I was like, I feel like there's something in here that we could make that could kind of like teach our clients something about like the journey of business and how there's like sticky mud or like a gumdrop center that like gets you to (laughs) catapult to the next thing. And we were talking about it of how like there is literally no destiny. There's no end in mind. There's no final outcome. There is no 
I am done in business. It's a journey and it's an evolution and it certainly looks a lot different than it did back in 2015. We have a team of seven now. We have helped a ton of people. We have a, a pretty big product suite. We know what we like to do. We know what we definitely don't want to do. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like every single day, especially in the last three years, as everything has been changing and buyer behavior has been changing, spending habits have been changing, marketing, the marketing space in general has been changing, content has been changing, has kind of forced us to consistently be evolving. And I could have never imagined the business that we have today was what we were going to build back in 2015. And I also know that we are on track for an evolution that in three to five years, I'm going to look back and be like, what was that business even? Because what we have then will be so different than what we have now. Okay. But that right there kind of flies in the face of this, uh, you know, Stephen Covey really sort of put it in, you know, in, in a cliche where it's like begin with the end in mind. And so often as entrepreneurs, we're told that, you know, like you got to know where you're going. You got to know where you're steering the ship. And here you are saying, you're like, man, this is this is a well, journey. And so, I mean, yes, I, I do think there's some aspect of having a target and you But the thing that I think people fail to realize is the target moves. Your life evolves, Mm -hmm. your needs change, you go into a new season of life and and you're faced with different circumstances. And so the destination you thought you were heading towards is now different. Um, But I want to acknowledge that for women in business, more often than not, even if we had a big dreamy goal of a very specific thing we wanted to go after, the majority of women in business are bootstrapping it. They are building the business and grassrooting every effort. And so every dollar you want to generate, the the amount you're investing is something you've already earned along the way. You're, you're investing back into yourself and you don't necessarily have capital to to, to leapfrog forward and like build the team, you know, day one Mm -hmm. versus five to seven years down the line. And Mm -hmm. so I want to acknowledge that part of, part of that is just because the cash isn't there to, to build towards something (laughs) so much bigger, um, sooner. Okay. Okay. But so here, here's what uh, what I see a lot of businesses struggle with, and I, I would hope that you guys could touch on this and maybe provide some insight, and that is what's the difference between understanding your limitations? I mean, you brought up the cash flow limitation, but I can think of time limitations. You know, when you're talking oh, about women in business, how many women are trying to juggle, uh, you know, their their business, their family, their relationships? <laughs> you know, so, so there are all sorts of, uh, you know, restrictions that are going to force you to pivot along the way. But I also see businesses that will start to pivot too much and almost flounder. They're they're bound, you know, they're stuck in that sticky mud from Candyland that you're talking about. Yeah. How, as an entrepreneur, how do I know if I'm making a smart adjustment because circumstances have changed, or am I just floundering because I don't have the tenacity or the stickability to 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 <sighs> see something through to the end? Uh, I think we could both share a perspective here. This is one of my favorite conversations to have because it is so nuanced and it is, I believe that there are kind of two different phases that you'll reach as a small business owner, as an entrepreneur. There's the the startup phase and this can last for however long it needs to last. There is no absolute time that gets you out of the startup phase. Mm-hmm. There are different financial milestones that various business owners will hit that where they kind of like start to get out of that different time. Um, 
amount of years, amount of months, it doesn't matter. But in that phase, however long it lasts you, that is the, in our opinion, in our experience in working with as many business owners as we have, that's the like, you've got to throw spaghetti at the wall, see what works, be quick on your feet, be quick to pivot. Mm. Um, Don't pour all of your time or cash into something that hasn't quickly proven an ROI. Um, Stop what's not working very quickly and try something new and see how that sticks. Ask your audience, network, ask questions, build relationships, try new things, and then go all in on the things that are working. That can happen for months or years. It doesn't matter. But then you'll start to realize that there's a phase of where you started to to reach sustainable income or at least a predictable amount of income on a month to month basis. You know that if you do this, these results will happen. And you've kind of gotten to that place in your business. And I believe that's this kind of second pivotal moment where at that point, and I think it's the hardest point for business owners, and this is where a lot of people quit and a lot of people stop or people pivot too drastically. At that point, you have to go all in on what's already worked for you. And it's time to stop throwing spaghetti at the wall. It's time to stop trying every new sexy thing and trying to see if this will get you a marginal different result than what you've already gotten and really pour into the data, the stats, the analytics, the actual facts about what your business is telling you and figure out how to go deeper into what has already been working. Yeah, I I think to Emily's point, if the pivot ultimately results in you having to go after a totally new audience or sell in a totally new model, more often than not, it's not a pivot and you're actually starting over and it's a new business, but under the guise of the same name. Um, and, and so, you know, you've convinced yourself that you're in a pivot when really you've completely abandoned your current market or you're, you're trying to enter an entirely different business model, which has its own set of variables, uh, own set of obstacles, own set of like opportunities Mm -hmm. and, if you haven't been playing the game that long, you're just not even sure what you're up against. And you, you see a sexy like rainbow in the sky of how amazing this thing could be. But all business models of all types have their own challenges Mm -hmm. and obstacles that you will have to face. And part of it is what are you willing to put up with and work through? And, um, I, I like to take people that have hit that, like, capacity limit where they are consistently booked out and they are seeing good results and help them refine rather than like pivot, pivot entirely, burn out entirely, um, shut down, or, or <laughs> shut down and move on to the next thing. You know, I've seen a lot of people quit when they're at that stage. So, yeah. So, okay. Uh, and, and you guys have talked about this, but I want to dig in a little bit deeper and that is this idea of quitting too early. Mm-hmm. What would you guys say for, you know, when, when someone, because I see a lot of entrepreneurs that they get to a point and they're like, I'm tired, I'm burned out. You know, I, I, I had an entrepreneur once I was working with her and she made a comment to me and this comment stuck with me so much. So I helped her sell her business. And when she sold her business, I did a follow-up meeting with her. I'm like, how are things? And she's like, you know what I got to do yesterday? And I'm like, no, I, I don't. She's like, I got to clean my toilets. I'm like, what? Like, that's what you're, she's like, I have been so busy with my business that, you know, my house has just gone to pot. I feel like I'm ignoring my kids. And she was excited about cleaning my toilets. I'm like, that's not 
how you should be running a business. Like th- no. there was some life balance that totally got out of 100%. whack there. You know, and, and so what would you guys say when we're looking at life balance and not quitting at the wrong time? You know, mm-hmm. how, how do you, how do you navigate those waters? Yeah. So our approach entirely is life first. We, we unfortunately have been through some crazy hard, challenging spots on our entrepreneurial journey. And we're forced to pay attention to life. Um, I I would much rather you choose to prioritize it and set up your business to run with that in mind. But you have to design a business that supports your lifestyle, not have your life fit around the nooks and crannies of the business. Um, And part of that is really money. You know, you know, a lot of people want to blame it on their clients breaking their boundaries or them over scheduling themselves or they have too many meetings or, you know, they're balancing too many things. And I will tell you what, when you are paid appropriately for the work that you're doing, not only can you work with less people and create more space in your calendar, um, but you're way more excited to show up to work. And so I, I see most of the people who are burning out, it's because they have to keep taking on more mm-hmm. or they're never going to hit that financial security zone. And I want you to not only feel safe and secure that your your family is taken care of, but get to the point that you have the financial freedom to pursue the things in life that really bring you joy, passion, excitement, et cetera. And And part of that is knowing what those things cost and planning for them. And so Mm -hmm. I I think it's easy to say that price doesn't matter, but a lot of the root of people's problems come down to dollars on the table. Well, and I think the thing I'll add to that is like, honestly, if someone, (laughs) if 10 years ago, I think it's now 11, 12 years ago that I got my first LLC. If someone had told me then how actually hard this job is and not just like in being innovative and managing a team and coming up with ideas and selling and like figuring out all of the things that we have to learn as small business owners, but like how mentally hard it is sometimes I might not have signed up for it. It is, it is one of the hardest jobs I've ever had. I'm not saying it is the hardest job, but mentally there's a whole big aspect of the conversation and the self doubt and the anxiety, and then the pressure of bringing in enough money to support yourself and your family. And then when you have a team, that pressure extends out to others. And how are you fostering those relationships and remaining ethical and working with the right clients? And do you kind of like your job today? And and managing all of those things can get really overwhelming. And I think that a lot of people don't know what they're signing up for when, when they start this journey, which is totally fine. And if you wake up one day and you're like, Hey, that's it's not for me. I love that self-awareness for you. And I also know that if you're in that season, there are a lot of things that you can put into place behind the scenes, like support, like systems, like pricing appropriately, like productizing your offer, however you're delivering the thing that you're selling. There are a lot of levers that you can pull. We call that the messy middle where there's a lot you've got to figure out and refine, but it is doable. So, Okay, you guys have been uh, talking about a lot of the process and the things that you do. I think this is a good time. Let's understand a little bit better. What is the boss project? 
So would you guys take a second and also uh, don't be shy about letting people know how they can connect with you. Uh, you know, if, if they're liking what they're hearing, uh, you know, how do they connect with you? What is the boss project? Who's it's for, uh, you know, take, take a second and kind of catch us up to speed on that. Yeah. So boss project was born initially as a branding and marketing boutique, as mentioned at the top. But what quickly happened is we were, we were getting asked a lot of questions about how to be successful in this. How were we getting clients so fast? What was our sales process like? Um, what was working for women in business? What was working for women in business who were exclusively working from home and online without an in-person experience? Um, and we were turning around and teaching everything we were le learning. Mm -hmm. And so much of what built boss project to what it is today was our focus on community and focus on creating a safe space for all women and femmes to feel heard, to feel understood and for them to truly prioritize the things in life that matter most to them. And so we're not out to have you hustle to, for every last dollar. It's not about grinding. It's not about this massive scale. It's about really learning, knowing and understanding what you what want and what are the levers you can pull to go after that thing in a way that's sustainable for you, um, that still respects that you are a human that has lots of other things going on. And so in, in the last eight years, we've sold a variety of courses and group programs and, and continued to do agency work so we could stay in tune with what it was like to be in a client-based business. Um, and today we work exclusively uh, with women and femmes and in, in business um, uh, specifically service-based business skill set. They are selling their experience. They could um, they could be in the B2B space providing something for other businesses behind the scenes. And we are helping them know what it takes, what is necessary for them to fully understand the numbers behind their business get their operations and systems in place and set themselves up for sustainability. And when they're ready, if they want to grow a team, we're there to support them on that next phase where they build more of an agency. Awesome. So, okay. We had a, a little bit of a conversation before, uh, before we jumped into the, uh, the formal interview here. And you made a comment about the importance of understanding the financial side of the business. And I told you, I'm like, hey, I'm a little bit shocked by that because, you know, I felt like you guys were more into the marketing space, the influencer space, you know, kind of that, uh, you know, and, and I'm not meaning this to be derogatory, but a little bit that warm and fuzzy. And you're like, no, no, no nuts and bolts, nuts and bolts. Like you got to <laughs> understand your business. Uh, so... Uh, and uh, Abigail, I'm, I'm going to pick on you specifically here because you were the one that was uh, was, was you know sticking up for that. What uh, what do you find that business owners uh, need to understand about their business aren't understanding? How do they get that that financial you know because. I see so many business owners that they go out there and they think, you know, they see you guys and they see your success and they're just like, oh, well, if I just post a whole bunch, then that's going to be, you know, yeah. that's going to bring me success. Or if I'm just more dynamic, that's going to bring me success. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There, there's the back end to, you know, the, the back of the house business that you, that you mentioned. So kind of talk about that a little bit more of, you know, as an entrepreneur getting into it, what do they need to be doing to keep the back of the house clean and operating so that the front of the house looks like a rock star? 
Well, I think I think the thing here is ultimately no one really goes to school to know and understand how to run a business. I get at this point there's degrees in entrepreneurship. You can go out and get an MBA, but I'll be honest, most of the the information you're learning in a educational environment is incredibly dated. Um, and it is not necessarily the on the fly decisions that happen to you specifically. And now granted, I recognize that my way of learning is from experience. I, I could read a book all day long and like understand it logically, but until I've experienced my, my depth of understanding is just not there. And so I was like so many other business owners out there who, when I started the business, I thought, okay, to grow, I, um, I just got to try things and I guess I just got to guess. And what I quickly learned is there are things that you should know and understand and track and calculate along the path. And so, you know, it, it could be little things like, you know, if you're, if you're selling services, really tracking how, how much traffic is coming to your site, how many leads are ultimately raising their hand saying they're interested how many discovery calls are you booking, which is leading to how many pitch meetings, which is leading to how many clients ultimately what's the conversion rate there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also things like your profit and loss statement. I know a lot of them people are intimidated by the numbers behind the scenes, but knowing your income sources, not just the total revenue that your business is generating, but what services are bringing in the biggest amount of income and, and which ones are the most efficient uses of your time? Um, where are your expenses going and, and how are all those things working? What is your profit looking like? Are you still in the stage where your profit is all over the place? Because so is your income. You're bouncing really high and then you're coming really far back down. It's really hard to create sustainability from that kind of launch model where you go up and then you jet back down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we want to help build more sustainability for these business owners. And, and so much of it is teaching them what they need to be paying attention to. And this is a judgment free zone. Like I know Emily was a lot more intimidated by the number side and you're welcome to speak to that. Yeah, I hate math. (laughs) (laughs) I love what math tells me. I hate figuring it out. Uh, So Abby's my math girl, and I'm like, okay, do tell me this piece of information so I can kind of wrap my head around like a new initiative that we might be doing. Um, but the, I know that it's an invaluable asset to have, and I'm so lucky to have an incredible team that helps support me and like gathering all of that information for me. Yeah. And so I, I think for many of our clients, you know, some have an interest in it and a background in it. I, we've definitely worked it with a handful of CPAs, um, but there are quite a few that are operating a lot closer to how Emily feels uh, about it and, and, and has, has some intimidation there. And I, I, I don't care if you're scared to death of it or if you feel like you know one part but not another like we want to teach you the things you're not learning in school and you feel like the man or like the people ahead of you like know something that you don't know they do 
they do know something that you don't know. And we're here to teach you and bridge that gap and not hold back. So, okay. I, uh, I love what Emily said when she made the comment. She said, I hate math, but I love what math tells me. I want to dig mm-hmm. into this because there are so many entrepreneurs that I work with that they, you know, like Abigail said, they're in the same boat that Emily's in. But it mm-hmm. sounds to me like you figured out a way to still get that information, even though this is not a strong suit of yours. So wh- how would you advise someone who, you know, math is not their strong suit and yeah. they still want to be a successful business owner. You can't ignore the numbers because the numbers, they tell you what's going on in your right. business, but you also can't get bogged down by the numbers. And I know so many people that they just, they just close their mind. They're like, I, yeah. I'm, I'm completely overwhelmed by that. I'm not even going to look at it. So how do you get that balance when you're someone like you, Emily, that openly admits, yeah. I hate the math? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'll, I will tell you how I got that balance in the art of also defending marketing, because I feel like marketing is getting shoved under the bus a little bit today, but I want to at least talk about I how, apologize. We, how, no, it's okay. I want to talk about how we think of marketing and like Abby and I, the actual real definition of marketing and how marketing has been perceived by a whole in the last couple of years, especially in the last five to 10 years, but how like it is in that route of marketing that I became obsessed with what the math was telling me and what the data was telling me. So I promise it is connected, but I will remind everyone I'll get on a soapbox for just like a minute, 60 (laughs) seconds in the last couple of years, it has been easy to convince ourselves that, Social media and viral content equals marketing. And that is not true. Instagram is not marketing. TikTok is not marketing. Even writing your email list is not marketing. Creating content is not marketing. Those are content channels that can serve a purpose for some businesses if you choose and when to to utilize those tools. That is not marketing as a whole. Marketing is quite literally the promoting and selling of your offer. That's it. If you are not selling your offer and having conversations to get people who are an ideal fit into your offer that you know provides value, then you are not marketing. Mm -hmm. You are building a brand, which is an entirely different conversation. And I love that for you if that's what you want to do. But marketing is actually way more closely tied to selling than any of us actually realize that it is. And what does selling do? Makes you money. When you make money and you sell and you have the right marketing conversations, you have data that you can look at, like Abby was talking about. How, what, what are your conversions? What are the amounts of people who are actually seeing this thing? Can you track the data on this effort over here? Can you what I say is chase the breadcrumbs. Can you chase the breadcrumbs from this effort? No matter if it was sending an email, posting on Instagram, attending a networking event, taking someone to coffee, firing off some emails to some networks that you might have in your community. It doesn't matter. Can you chase the breadcrumbs of whatever effort you did and tie it back to a quality conversation that opened the door to talk to someone else that then became a client or introduced you to this amazing business that then you could work with or whatever it might be. And it's when you start to have those data checkpoints for me that I became obsessed with like trying something and tracking it and measuring it and seeing what the result and turning around and trying something and tracking it and measuring the result because I, and I think a lot of business owners have this, even if you don't want to admit it, 
I freaking love making money. I want to make more money and I want to make more money easily and with more fun and with more creative energy. And I want my team to feel like we're making a good amount of money. And I want to, I want my ideas to be the thing to help us make more money. And you can only craft those and harness those if you're looking at the data and also marketing your actual offer. So, mm-hmm. so uh, I, I, I'm going to let you know, I got a degree in finance. And so that's why I hit heavy on the financial <laughs> <Totally>. side. <laughs> but the, the ironic thing, as you were talking and you're like, man, I'm going to stick up for, uh, you know, for marketing. So I, uh, I, I developed trainings and I work with a lot of businesses. And uh, the first training that I ever developed was actually a marketing training. And so even though my background was in finance, I looked at the marketing side and I'm just like, ah, there needs to be more understanding of marketing. And one of the quotes that I use in my training is all sales are a function of marketing. And, you know, and and so I, I, I love how you connect that and say, okay, let's, let's get at the money. I I want to talk about this. You guys, I feel have been a little bit apologetic about, you know, wanting to get money. And, you know, I, I will state that I've never seen a successful entrepreneur have money be their primary driver, but I've also never seen a successful entrepreneur that doesn't care about money. Like you have to be driven enough to chase those dollars, to get those dollars and to see the path to those dollars. What yes. would you guys advise to your clientele? And especially, and I'm, I apologize up front, I'm being a little stereotypical here. When I work with female clients, they tend to be more relation-based. They tend Mm -hmm. to want to care about the other person. And sometimes they have a hard time breaking through and understanding that your services are worth something. Don't give your services away. Sell your services because it's an exchange. Like the value that you're creating is definitely worth something. And, And so when you guys are telling people to go after the money, especially with the, you know, female clientele, how do you help them understand that it's okay? It's good. It's good to make a lot of money. Well, so this is a generational problem. So th- this actually is the, the cause and effect of how we've raised our children over, over decades. Okay. And, um, you know, if we and go I'm pretty back sure to, I'm older than both of you. I think that. Yeah, I agree. I think you might be in a middle generation. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, th- I agree you might be in a middle generation for us. But if we're, so we're millennials. If you look at our grandparents, um, they were in an age where it was stereotypical for the man of the house um, to be making primary, if not all, the income for yeah. the family. Yeah. Um, our parents' generation, uh, primarily boomers, um, women were for the first time working, um, but they were still expected to manage every aspect of, of their children's lives while attempting to balance a career. Mm -hmm. And they were telling women our age, you can do anything you set your mind to, and you can go after all of these things, which removed a lot of limitations for our generation about what we thought was possible. However, the conversations about dollars and cents were still not happening at the dinner table. And women were focused on how you can impact, 
how you can make change, how you can go out and do all of these incredible things. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't tied to the dollars that go along with those things. And one of the things that I have deeply acknowledged is that impact is only possible if you have the dollars and cents to reach those people. And, and that means charging people along the way for the information that you have for your experiences that can make change. And women have to disrupt the conversation that they've been told their entire lives and, and shift the focus. And that does mean learning about things likely that they weren't taught as a child. Um, Um, or perhaps aren't even managing in their own relationship currently. Um, And so while many of the women we work with are breadwinners in their businesses, they are not necessarily in charge of their personal finances at home, which creates a weird dynamic for how we have conversations around money because they still don't feel in charge. They still don't feel like they have the final say, Mm -hmm. even though they may be making big financial decisions in their day-to-day life in the business world. Mm -hmm. Or the only bringer of income into their household. Yeah. Yeah. You see that more and more. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, Emily and I are not only the breadwinners, but we employ both of our spouses. And so... we have also had to do a lot of unlearning along the way and willing willingness to to learn about subjects that were potentially never taught to us investigate things figure out what is the truth versus what is the the rhetoric around different subject matters and and part of that is knowing that money it does not have a good or a bad connotation. I feel like Emily can speak to this better than I can. Well, yeah, I mean, I was raised in a household where all all money was bad because we didn't have enough of it and people mm-hmm. who had it were were you know, must be nice kind of mentality that they have it and we didn't have it. And so I definitely have had a lot of unlearnings about my relationship with money in general and we see that a lot with our women clients because we all have our, these natural unbiased tendencies or biased tendencies about finances or money and what it means. A lot of us are assigning meaning to the money or lack thereof or where it comes from or how it's made. And what we try to do with our clients is try to base at least the money decisions in facts. And we try to gather the data and present the data in a way that makes sense, but in a way that like Abby built this incredible, like fill in the blank calculator that like does the math for you and spits out information about what you should be charging for your offer and how much time you actually have to be able to spend delivering that service, et cetera, et cetera, how it changes with the team based on your, your profit margin goal and your revenue goal and all of the things. But it's really fun to explore those situations those, that calculator with our clients, because we can play these hypothetical scenarios about if you want this, what is it going to require for you to do in order to get that? Mm-hmm. And we're talking out about the beginning of how there's there's no journey, but shouldn't you shouldn't you have a goal or an in in thing in mind? And we stopped using the word goal a couple of years ago and really kind of reframed our headspace to talk about the outcome rather than like one clear goal. Okay. And we help our clients through, like, what do you 
what what would be the nice to achieve? What 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 is the life like at at this next milestone or phase that you're wanting to get to? And while the actions or or offers or marketing tactics might change in order for you to get there, the journey might tweak in order for you to get there. We we do need to know where we're heading in the sense of what do you want your life to look like? And I just feel like our conversations with our clients in this space because of all of that unlearning that has to happen internally and even at home and with relationships with their partner or their family or their people that are supporting them, it impacts a lot of things in their lives. So when you, when you talk about unlearning, I mean, this is one of the most challenging things. And I don't care if we're talking about business. I don't care if we're talking about personal habits. If we're talking about lifestyle choices, like every single human being on this planet has things that they want to unlearn and replace that with something better. Um, my mind goes to all the cliche movie scenes where, you know, you've got the, the like Kung Fu master, like you must unlearn everything that you have learned. Like, but <laughs> in, in the movie, it happens in a, you know, like in a week and then they get ready and, you know, and keep yeah, up with all the bad guys. Yeah. but the reality of it is much more challenging than that. Uh, so mm-hmm. how do you help someone unlearn? How do you, how do you break those bad habits and replace that with the, the life that they want, the outcome that they mm-hmm. want? Well, I think part of it is removing the feeling, not that feelings don't matter. We absolutely address feelings and emotion and mindset as part of our work, Mm -hmm. but we also try to not judge those feelings as good or bad. And so you are allowed to be sad, happy, frustrated, angry, irritated, all the emotions and feel them and move through them. But we have to stop placing value on on them being innately good or bad okay. and, and look at them more straightforward than that. Um, another piece of this is as we're starting to un- better understand our emotions, one, if you can name them instead of um, like ignore them, like a lot of people have just, they've taught to push it down. Yeah. They're taught to not respect the thing. But we've seen a lot of our female clients spend so many years of ignoring the emotions that are coming up that now they're suffering with some sort of chronic illness or, um, you know, they have things medically that are coming up because it's affecting them in their body. Um, and I think part of that is one, get a therapist, move through those feelings with therapist. And then on the business side, we help people look at a lot of these things a bit more analytically, a bit more logically, a bit more fact-based, and at least for the decision-making part of it, remove the feeling initially so that you can have a clear headed view that doesn't have a good or bad thing. We call them consequences and instead of, um, instead of, you know, something being a failure or a win, you know? And so you, you do a thing, you do the experiment, you, you try something new. There are a set of consequences. Um, they're, they're not good and bad and neutral, good and bad and neutral. And then you, you make data decisions based on that. Like, what happened and, and look at this from almost like a debrief kind of standpoint. Yeah. And we really, we really try to foster within our clients, within our team, within ourselves, what we call an experimental mindset and having a culture of curiosity. And we do that within our own team, but it, we literally try to teach that skill with our clients because 
it, while we're past the phase of throwing spaghetti at the wall and constantly pivoting and tweaking and trying all the things, we do need to still experiment in business. Every single one of us, every single day, no matter what, especially as the economy is what it is and things are changing and evolving so quickly behind the scenes. Technology is becoming like even faster and more incredible. And we have to like be quick on our feet about ebbing and flowing with that. But if we can come in with what we're doing as a culture of curiosity, but then also dedicate time to debrief, like Abigail's talking about and do a postmortem about what it is that you actually did. What were the results? We're not tying our worth to the results or lack thereof that we got. We're assessing the situation factually. But in my experience, I think in both of our experiences, and, and this is obviously how we consult because it is our own lived experience and reality, we both get confidence or proof or encouragement to move forward after we take action and after we see results. And so we encourage our clients to take tiny action, even if it's messy, even Mm -hmm. if you're confused, even if you're unsure, because once you have receipts or the proof of something, no matter how it went, you can then make an educated decision on how to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. So you guys have been awesome to let me kind of delve into maybe some of the some of the real side of business. You know, I, I, I appreciate that we didn't just go into kind of the fluffy like, oh, if you have a positive attitude, everything's going to work out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no that, that, that's been wonderful. Uh, I, I'd like to, as, as we kind of uh, wrap up here, what what are some some final thoughts? Uh, and I'd like you to kind of target them a little bit to so the audience that uh, that I have here on the show uh, is a lot of people that they feel like they're in the trenches. Uh, you know, I, I I was talking with a business once that um, they had received a uh, um, kind of a, a, a Kickstarter amount of about $400,000. And they said, they're just like, yeah, you know, we didn't do very well. And I just told them, I'm like, you got to realize that in your circles, yeah, 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 I'm like in your circles, a 400,000, because he was comparing himself to other people that had gotten a couple million dollars. And and I'm like, you've got to realize that most entrepreneurs, like you guys said, are bootstrapping it. Uh You know, most of them are still working another job. They're trying to figure out how to get their kids off to soccer and they've got to make that client call, you know, and they're, they're, they're getting five hours of sleep at night and they're still supposed to be exercising and eating healthy. Like all this stuff is just like, just, just crashing down on them. So for, for the, the real entrepreneur in the trenches, what are some kind of final thoughts that, that you would have uh, from your experience being there? I mean, you mentioned that you've gone through some incredibly hard things on your journey. Uh, What, what would you say to people that are, you know, they're still on the front end of that journey? I mean, for me, I I know it's for that example in particular and kind of branching off advice from that. um, I had to be really intentional about the circles that I maintain and where I bring in information about other businesses or, or what's going on and trending in in this space because of that comparison is so easy to do. Mm. And so uh, first of all, be mindful of like literally the information and the content that you're downloading on a day-to-day basis. Um, But what I try to do is like the opposite of um, imposter syndrome. (laughs) And, And I try to like convince myself that like, Every little tiny result, it doesn't matter what it is, is like the best thing that's happened that day. And whether it's to me or to anyone who's ever tried this thing that I'm also trying, I just like, 
I try to come at, at looking at every single thing as like, this was such an incredible opportunity, no matter how it went. Right. And if I was sitting there approached with a Kickstarter of 400,000, one, that is really freaking exciting. And that is incredible. And I know I keep saying this, but like looking at the data and chasing the breadcrumbs and having a debrief of, okay, well, what actually got you that? Was there one predominant donor that helped you reach that goal more often? Was sharing it in one platform the more effective than sharing it in another capacity? What actually got you those results so that you can turn around and try to do something like that again and do it even better? But if we're looking at something and we're just like, well, that sucked, I guess it's like all I'm ever gonna get, our job as business owners to literally look at every single result as an opportunity to shape it and, and refine it and, and make it better the next time. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. I would, I would say if you're in the trenches, you know, you're in it, right. You're, you're, you're actively juggling a lot of balls and, and they're all in the air all at the same time. And you're attempting to make everything work together and likely too much of your attention is on the clients you're serving. Um, and, and that's a story for another day, but I will give you the example of the balls that you're juggling. Okay. So all balls that you're juggling, we'll, we'll call them like priorities or focuses or tasks or things you need to do or think about. Some are made of glass and some are made <laughs> of rubber uh-huh. and you can put some things down. And we convince ourselves that we are required to do all of these things in life. And more often than not, they are self-induced tasks, like even in family dynamics, like you know, maybe bedtime is, is just horrible at your household and you're like struggling to get your kids to bed and like all the things like, what is one thing you just have convinced yourself about that routine that has to happen because this must be how bedtime routines work. And you can change that for your family so that it's less hectic and like, there's no judgment. So part of it is just like letting go of the thing that you think is expected of you because you're a human that like operates in this world. Um, But also letting some shit go. Like I know for me, some of this stuff had to start at home because I couldn't figure out how to make the space in my business initially. And so it was like, I'm not going to be in charge of laundry, literally at all. Initially that meant my spouse did it for a long time. And then eventually we created the financial freedom to hire a personal assistant that, that does all our laundry. And it just magically goes from dirty to hung in my closet, which is life changing. (laughs) Um, you know, some, some stuff is, it's about, it is about getting the support you need in these other areas. And more often than not changing something at home first is an easier thing to change. Um, and then once you have a little bit more headspace, then I definitely want to look at your pricing and what you're offering and how can we spend less time with clients so that you have more freedom in your day to work on the other things that are important in your business. Um, but it, it almost always starts at home. 
So I'll, I'll tell you, there were some awesome words of wisdom in there, but I think what most people latched on to was as soon as they heard, they're like, oh, not having to do laundry anymore. Like they just all got motivated. They're like, okay, I can do this. I can it's do this. It's a dream, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, it can, those sort of things can start a lot more simply than people realize. Like more often than not, like a massive change to your lifestyle could be something that costs you less than $500 a month if you completely outsource it, or it could be something that you just simply need to have a conversation with the people that are in your life, like who live in your household and reassign tasks yeah. and, um, and, and refiguring out who's in charge of what and totally owning it from start to finish is a big part of it. So um, there are free things that are literally just a conversation away um, with a quality partner and, and things that do cost money, but we're not necessarily talking about a ton of money. here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a couple hundred dollars here that could, like radically change your week to week. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you guys have been wonderful. Uh, I, I, unfortunately we've run out of time and so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. But if someone did want to get in contact with you, what would be the best mm-hmm. way for them to reach out? Yeah. So definitely check us out at bossproject.com. You're going to see all the things we do and offer, how you could work with us as a client, um, as well as how you could join our incubator program. If you click book a consult, you can actually book a time with me and we'll chat more about where your business is at, what you're working on, what your current challenges or obstacles are and how we might be able to help you. Um, I also know if you love listening to podcasts, you should definitely be listening to ours. Um, we are the strategy hour podcast. You can, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, subscribe, listen there's over 700 episodes you're not going to run out of things to listen to we've developed a ton of content over the years and we'd love to have you be a part of our community beautiful thank you so much well you have been listening to marketing management and money we've got abigail and emily with the boss project that have been fabulous guests today i appreciate having both of you on and all of your insight and uh, look forward to future interviews and episodes thanks so much Mm -hmm.